This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point, Hedman, right to Kucherov. Score! Patrick Kucherov! Yesterday was certainly a memorable day for our friend and colleague Rick Peckham and for the Lightning organization. Certainly a feather in the organization's cap to have Rick is their television announcer going back to 1995. Of course, Rick Peckham received the Foster Hewitt Award yesterday, which means he's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. There's one recipient of that award each year in the broadcasting field. There's also a Writer's Award, and of course, they just announced the player inductees for the Hall of Fame as well. And one of those guys who's already in the Hall of Fame... (laughs) My radio partner, Phil Esposito, is joining me for the show today. Dave Mishkin alongside, as well, Steve Versnick on this Tuesday Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. And Rick Peckham will be joining us at 12.30 to talk about how he heard about getting the award, the nomination, and where his emotions are at. Also, as we get ready for, hopefully soon, a resumption of play. But first things first... Phil, how are you? It's been a few weeks since we've chatted. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Um, I got to tell you, I'm getting a little bored with all of this. <laughs> the big time. I can't wait to, to get back and, and watching hockey again. I don't know about you, Dave. I just want to sit there and listen to you broadcast the game and, and interject and screw you up a little bit once in a while. <laughs> Well, that train is on the tracks, and we're going to talk about that today. But, uh, you know, we discussed last week on our various shows whether any of the plans would get derailed by some of these players testing positive, three of whom were on the Lightning. I guess there are 15 players who have been in their home cities who have tested positive, and then 11 others who are not yet in their home cities. And look, you'd like the number to be zero, certainly, but that's not a huge number. And it certainly seems that if there is going to be a complication, it's not going to be due to players testing positive right now. It's going to be more about the league and the players association working out an agreement. We're going to, we're going to discuss that before we get Rick on at the bottom of the hour. But I did want to ask you, Phil, about getting the call when you find out you're going into the Hall of Fame, because you got that call in 1984. What do you remember about that phone call and and learning that you were going in? Was there any suspense? I mean, you had to have a pretty good idea, right? That you were up and you were probably going in that that first year of eligibility, right? Well, I guess, yeah, you're right, David. But I I don't recall... Uh, when I got the call to tell me that I was being inducted, and and uh, in those days it was kind of wishy-washy. It wasn't like it is now. I remember that. Um, oh, I got my way paid, but I had to pay for my family and everything else to come up there. And my brother Tony, I wanted him there in the worst way, but he was still playing at that time. Yeah, uh, and so he he didn't get there. So uh, look, it was nice, it was fun, but it's not like it is now. But 
nothing is like it is now because everything is bigger and um, more extravagant, I guess is the word. And, and they treat you a hell of a lot better than they did back then. You made the decision to bring on Rick in 1995. Yes. Rick spent about an hour with me a couple of weeks ago. We did a lengthy Zoom call. We used the audio here on Power Lunch and the Lightning used the video that they've been promoting. And we talked a lot about his path to the NHL and, and to the Lightning. And he was telling the story of how his time was winding down in Hartford. Carmanos had had bought the team, was thinking of moving the team. He kind of saw that his days were numbered there. And he right. felt very fortunate to be able to make the shift and and come to Tampa and be the television yeah. voice of the Lightning. He knew Jerry Helper, who I guess he said Jerry kind of was the guy who who he contacted, but were you involved in that decision process at all to bring Rick yes. on to do the, the TV play-by-play? I called play? Jerry Cheevers. Cheevers worked with Rick in Hartford as his color man, yep. and I called Jerry Cheevers, and uh, and I said, look, I, what, what do you think Rick is going to do? Because we all found out that Carmanis was going to try to move the team. Didn't know where at the time, I think, and and um, I just, I, we needed to find somebody. It was like when Bobby Taylor, you know, and Danny Gare went to, um, wanted to coach. He was our first color guy on television. And I remember saying to Danny Gare, are you crazy? Stay here. You'll be here for 30 <laughs> years. What are you worried about? And he decided to coach. And so we had to get somebody else and went with the chief. And then in 95, um, uh, I forget who was, uh, you know what? I can't even remember who was doing the broadcasting. John Kelly, right? That's it. He want, He came to me and he says, I'd like to go home. And um, he went to St. Louis. But first he stopped in Denver, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, and that, then, that uh, first we year, were, the Avalanche, right? It yeah, was the Avs' first Avalanche. year, 95-96. Right. And... Um, so when Rick came down, and Jerry Helper was here, yes, uh, but the decision was made by myself and a couple of other people to hire Rick, and there was no doubt that I, I thought he was a terrific broadcaster because I had heard him a lot when I was living in New York and he was doing the Hartford games. And so it was a no-brainer as far as I was concerned. And Rick and his family moved down here, and the rest is history. Well, hopefully, Rick will have some more games to do. And I say that with the expectation that he will have more games to do. Because certainly yeah. the NHL is rolling right along here as we speak on the last day of June. Phase three, which is the full training camps for the 24 teams that are going to be resuming play in their home cities before they go to the hub cities is scheduled to start on July 10th. Now that date is contingent on the league and the players association reaching an agreement. Right. And the agreement is not only about this return to play. They also want to fold in an extension of the CBA as a whole, which has two years left. 
that's a pretty big undertaking, isn't it, Phil? I mean, not that you've necessarily been in those negotiations, but you've you've been involved in negotiations before, and yeah. it's not just crossing one T and <clears throat> dotting one I, is it? No, it's not. And um, the NHL, I think the owners want to have the extension. The players aren't sure right now if I have understood what was going on. And uh, to extend it for another three years, which would be a five-year deal uh, with the ex- extension of three years. But um, I don't know why the players wouldn't go for it. They're making more money than ever. But I think it's that, what do you call uh, the, the money they have to put aside, uh, the players do. for The escrow. It goes yeah. down and whatever, you know, and all that other stuff that uh, – the, the escrow. It, go ahead. Yeah, the escrow is the money they have to yeah, put aside. Escrow, that was it. And, hell, I feel like Biden for crying out loud. Can't remember anything. <laughs> but the other thing was that um, for for us, as um, well, not for us, not for us anymore, but players, man, I, I don't know why they wouldn't want to continue this because it's been a windfall for everyone and the players are certainly get more money than I ever thought was possible for them to get. And the owners must be making money because the cap keeps going up and up and up. But there are four, five, six teams in this league that are struggling. There's no doubt about that. And and that's the before come to all of this happened. Excuse me? And that's before all of this happened, which has right. certainly thrown a right. huge monkey wrench. Yeah, that's exactly right, David. So, listen, who the heck ever, ever thought that something like this would happen with this pandemic and the virus and closing everything down? And I, I never in my wildest dreams ever thought I would, I would, uh, it would happen like that. So um, I wish that it, it would just get over with if they can and get back to playing hockey and getting back to some sort of normal life. Although I don't think it'll ever be the same. To me, it's just like after 9-11, you know, things were different when you went to the airport and all that. Hell, you remember, Dave, you get to the airport 10 minutes 15 minutes before flight time and just run to the gate, right? Yeah. And nowadays you can't do that whatsoever. And that all changed after 9-11. And I think there's going to be huge changes after all of this is over too. And whether people can handle it or not, I guess you're going to have to. Simple, Simply put, you're going to have to. Well, they do have to work out the details not only of a CBA extension, which they want to get done, because I think it is tied to this escrow yeah. mess, if that's the right way of putting it, I and, don't know. and revenue mess. They have to figure out a way to kind of bridge the gap between where we are now and maybe even next year and a few years down the road where they can presumably get back to kind of a normal schedule, a normal season, normal revenue. But they also have to work out the particulars of this return to play with the protocols for quarantine in the hub cities. Are families going to be able to come visit maybe if teams advance 
to the point that you've only got, say, four teams left in a hub city or two teams left in a hub city? Are families going to be able to visit? What's that going to look like? So there's a lot to work out. But I do think that reading the tea leaves, there is an expectation that they are going to work it out. That if it's not July 10th, maybe it's July 12th, 13th, 14th, it's not going to be pushed back that far. But once they reach an agreement between the league and the Players Association, it does have to go to a vote within the union, and every player gets a vote. Do you see any scenario in which this thing does not pass the player vote? Well, there are a few players, uh, from what I understand, that are against it. It, David, it depends personally on the executive committee and the way I feel, because sometimes the players will just follow along. Most players want to play. They just want to play. But you're right. They're going to be gone in, uh, for a couple months away from their family. And they haven't even announced the hub cities because I personally think one of the hub cities is going to be Toronto. And because of the quarantine and everything else that's going up on Canada, you know, you, you got to wait until the government allows you to go through there. And now how long can they wait? That's the question. Now, the other place in the States, weren't they talking about Vegas? Yeah. You know, I think, Phil, as I understand it, Canada does have a 14-day quarantine requirement in place if you're coming into the country, but they agreed to waive that for the NHL and the teams, which put those Canadian cities back in the running. (laughs) to be hub cities because if they had to implement a quarantine, there's no way. I and mean, there's no way no that way. you could go up there right. and, and play the game. So I think that they, they put in that, that ex, uh, waiver or exemption for the NHL cities, but I guess we're down to five. So Vegas is one and that's been consistently mentioned as a front runner. And then in the U S you've got LA and Chicago. And because Vancouver backed out last week, You've got Toronto and Edmonton. Do you think Toronto and Vegas are the two cities? Or do you think it's still open for debate? Well, Toronto's got these three rinks within 20 minutes of each other. Uh, Three big NHL rinks. And it doesn't matter about the crowd because no fans are going to be in there. Right. But, um, uh, you know, they've got the Rico Center, which is – where the American Hockey League team plays. I've been in that building. It's a very nice building, but it only was holding ten or 11,000 people. So, but there's no... So I. that's why I think Toronto, and then they got Hamilton, which isn't far. Vegas, it's mostly, I think, because of the hotels. Yeah. You know, you've got to completely take over a hotel. Now, does all the, do all the teams stay in the same hotel? That'd well, be I think in I can tell you, I that. think in Vegas, yeah, I think it may depend on the city. Now, like you mentioned, the minor league rink in Toronto. I think any of the games that are going to be played to count. I don't know about exhibition games, but if we're talking about round robin games and play in games, that three out of five series for the team seated five through twelve, and then into the full playoffs, round one with best of seven. All those would happen at the big arena. 
for television purposes. And maybe so, they would you, use the minor league think... arena for practice. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there you go. You see, because you're going to have all these teams there. And um, I, I, I know they televise games out of the Rico Center because uh, the American League team does get televised. And so I don't know, man. I, look, this is something that um, we just have to wait and see. I think the NHL is uh, at least the ownership and maybe, I guess, Gary Bettman and those guys, they have a plan. There's no doubt about that in my mind. They have a plan. They are working with the Players Association. But the Players Association or the union has their plan. And they've got to come together, and I'm sure they're very close. But the monkey in the, the wrench, the wrench uh, you know, that they threw in there was they want to extend. So now the players are going to have to decide whether they'll go for that. I hope they do. I yeah. really do. I think the league has come off very well through all of this, particularly when you look at the problems that baseball has had. Baseball yeah. is in a different situation. Like hockey was 85% done with its regular season. So they basically needed to figure out a plan to get across the finish line. Same with the NBA. Baseball was in a whole different boat where this thing yeah. hit and kind of exploded in a very short amount of time just as they were getting ready to start their season. So understanding it was apples to oranges. But I think the perception that the NHL has been able to to reflect or you know show well in terms of how it's handled each step of the process. They came out with that playoff format plan. They've been really deliberate in not announcing hub cities too soon because the situation yep. can change, right? They've been exactly. very patient with that. I think they've done very well to this point. Now it's just a matter of making sure that they can get the teams back and playing and then hopefully get through a playoff tournament without any major potholes. But to this point, I think you'd have to give both the the league and the union high marks. Without a doubt. I'll put myself as a player right now. If I was a player right now, I'd be chomping at the bit to get this thing going and get it to get the season over with and start the playoffs. And I wouldn't care when it ended. Um, just as long as we get going and see who wins the Stanley Cup. And um, I, I think you worry about next year after this. You know what I mean? Now, right. We don't have to worry about it as players. The league has to worry about it. And, and so you just want to play. Most of the guys that I've talked to, haven't talked to a lot of guys, a couple on the phone and what have you, all are just like, oh, man, we just can't wait to get back and play. And uh, I can't blame them for that. The culture within a hockey room is really play for the guy sitting next to you and your teammates. That's just the way it's been. And Steve and I were talking about this last week. You know, phase three, which is the training camps in the, the city that the team typically plays. We kind of thought that they may put in a quarantine. Like Lightning players would be in a hotel yeah. close to Amelie Arena. They'd be in the hotel or they'd be practicing. 
at Amelie Arena. It's not going to be that way. The players are going to be allowed to stay at home, come in for camp, go back home, and are encouraged to stay home. And then even a Vegas situation. So, okay, let's say Vegas is a, a hub city. You're going to be quarantined in your hotel. But there's a lot of activity happening outside the hotel. And maybe oh, yeah. some guys might be enticed to do something outside the hotel. Do you think kind of the culture within the sport, which is I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize my team's chances of winning a Stanley Cup, will help keep players cautious, if that's the right word, about what they might be doing when they're not actually playing? I hope so, because a lot of these young guys, um, uh, they don't have the symptoms uh, and stuff like that of of the virus. And and they keep getting, they're going to be tested when they get in there, before yeah. they get in. And then they're going to be tested after, every day. Every yeah. day. In the hub and city. That, that is something that, well, okay. I remember playing in my first international competition and uh, the World Cup in 77. And uh, I don't think 76, the Canada Cup, we did it. But it was after every game, they picked a couple of guys to uh, they test whether you're doing drugs or not. And, you know, with urine and stuff like that. And I remember I got picked like three or four times in the seven or eight games we played. And um, I kept wondering why, because I was older than everybody else? Or what, <laughs> what was that about? And, uh, you know, which is, which is ridiculous compared to what we're talking about with this virus. Um, somebody told me that they're not going to allow anybody, any fighting. Is that true? I haven't heard that. Not that we typically see a lot of fighting no. in the playoffs nowadays. Anyway, I remember what I saw, you, and this what is... What do you in, think, Dave? Do you think they're going to be wearing that full face shield? No. Well, look, I don't know for certain, and maybe when they do reach an agreement, and if it's released and made public, we'll see some of the protocols they put in place. But I remember watching, and this is years ago, I watched a like a classic game uh, that was on NHL Network or something like that. It was the 1980 final between the Flyers and Islanders, the one where the Islanders win in overtime nice game six with the nice offside play. The Flyers got kind of screwed on that missed offside play. Islanders scored, yep. but it's tied. There's like five minutes left in the third period and a fight breaks out. <laughs> and it was one guy and one guy and they fought and that was it. And they went to the penalty box. And I thought, can you imagine in today's game, Game six, the Stanley Cup final. Game's tied. Five minutes left in the third period and a fight breaking out. And it just goes to show that it's a completely different game in that regard. Without now. a doubt. But well, I think the more, idea... There's more of that stick work now than back true. then, too. You know, but I think the yeah. idea, Phil, because you're going to be testing players and staff, for that matter, every single night, if yeah. you can ensure that everybody arrives <laughs> negative and you can keep them in the bubble and you're testing everybody every night to ensure that no positive test is is sneaking in there or the virus is not breaking through the bubble 
I don't know why you couldn't just play the game as you normally would play it. But that's I agree. Me spitball. But let me ask you a question, David. What happens if a guy's coming in to, to for the game? He gets tested and he's got it. Do they throw him out? Well, I think they test at night, and then they get the result the next morning. So that is definitely going to be in the contingency plans. And I think Gary Batman and Bill Daly both said if it's one isolated case, they'll put that player in quarantine and they'll proceed. But what if it's five? What yeah. if it's ten? What if it's twenty? I don't know. I don't know what they would do if it's if it's wow. a bigger group of players, particularly on one team. I don't know what you would do. Right. It would be devastating, to tell you the truth. Absolutely devastating. And and uh, that team certainly couldn't play. Right. There was Which is why they're hoping. Somebody, 10, not even 10, 8. Yeah. Know? That's why if you can get everybody in the bubble and keep them there and test everybody every night, hopefully you can, if there is, a, if there is one positive test, you can isolate it quickly and prevent it from spreading throughout even if yeah. the guys feel fine which you know apparently the three lightning players who tested positive were either completely asymptomatic or a really low-grade fever that you know wouldn't have prevented them from playing under normal circumstances yeah and people uh, people told me that they got it at the rink at the practice facility and i i've been told that it wasn't the case at all they yeah all that was my understanding too they, uh, at a restaurant and after that, a couple of them got it, two or three. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, for me, it's the young people don't think that it's going to affect them. And if you remember, when this first came out, they kept saying, "If you, the younger you are, don't worry about it and all this other stuff. But that's not the case anymore. Even though they don't have all the symptoms of it, uh, you know, when you test them and they've got that low-grade fever and what have you, and right away it's it's the virus. Yeah. And funny thing, too, I, I was thinking, my buddy and I were talking about this the other night, and I said, have you heard of anybody having the flu this year? I haven't. <laughs> Just the flu. Yeah. Wasn't the season over now? I always feel like you hear about the flu I don't in like know. January, February. But every but... year I get a flu shot, right? This yeah. year, no, my doctor didn't say anything about a flu shot. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought they still gave out the flu shots this year. I don't know. I didn't I didn't get one, and um, every year I've gotten one. Strange. Well, Maybe hopefully we'll doctor, be getting a different change. <laughs> hopefully we'll be getting a different kind of shot here in the not too distant future. And yeah, if they can find a vaccine on the earlier end of the timeline, that would be that would be awesome. And, that would be you know, certainly awesome. Everyone's man. hoping that would for that. Be awesome. Well, I certainly it was well. awesome to hear Rick Peckham's news that he was going into the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. We're going to be chatting with Rick when we return on this Tuesday Power Lunch. Dave Mishkin, Phil Esposito, Steve Versnick here with you on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. We're trying to connect with Hall of Fame broadcaster Rick Peckham. I can now say that. 
Although, really, he's been a Hall of Fame broadcaster throughout his career. I mean, if you ever yeah. heard Rick, and you mentioned it, Phil, how good he has been doing the play-by-play for hockey. I heard Rick when I was a student. I was going to school in Connecticut, just down the road from Hartford. And I remember oh, hearing yeah. Rick in, in the 80s and how good right. he was. And uh, he just kept that standard incredibly high every step of the way. But it's possible Rick might be on the golf course. I'm not sure. Maybe he's lining maybe. up a puck. But we're going to still try and to, to reach well, out to Rick and hopefully get him on. too much last night. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to ask uh, him that no. if and when no, we get Rick. him on. But we'll continue uh, our conversation, Phil. Sure. And let's, let's get off the off-ice stuff and onto the on-ice stuff, assuming that, that – we are back rolling along training camp second week in July, final week in July. They moved to the hub cities, maybe an exhibition game. And then we're into the round robin for the lightning and the play in series for the teams that are ranked five through 12 in the East and the West. What does your sense tell you about the quality of play we're going to see after such a long layoff on the one hand, but also Teams, for the most part, completely healthy, which is very unusual and unprecedented when you head into a normal playoff year. Almost every team is. The only one I heard was Nashville because of Johansson. He not going to be able to play this year. Or the rest no, I hadn't heard year. him. I heard Pardon Brett me? Pesci might not be back for Carolina. He had shoulder surgery, I guess. Yeah, well, Johansson, I think it's his back. If I'm not, uh, I'm not remembering right, but uh, you know what it is, David. For me, um, everybody will be healthy. I don't think it's going to take a long time for these guys to get back into the swing, swing of things. I don't think it'll be necessarily um, as rough and as tight as most playoffs are. I just don't because of the layoffs. But most teams are the same team, same coaches, same teams. They know what they have to do, and they just have to get to that point. I think in the beginning, not not so bad, um, but in the beginning, the passes will be off a little bit. But, hell, in the middle of the season, we've seen the teams come out and the Lightning come out and can't make a pass. And then all of a sudden it clicks and they're making good passes and everything else. Uh, I don't I don't think it's going to be a problem for these guys to play. Um, they've had how many months off now? Three months? Four months? Well, we stopped in mid-March, March? right? So we're yeah. on we're heading yeah. into month four. It'll be about four months from the end of or from where we paused until the start of phase three. Well, the that's, that's even more that if you don't make the playoffs, so you got April and, you know, you don't make the playoffs and you're done in April and you come back in September. It's about the same sort of distance. Now, let's not forget in September when you came back, if you didn't make the playoffs, there was all sorts of exhibition games of seven or eight preseason games and whatever. Yeah. But there was also the influx of, other players, the kids that you drafted, kids from the minors, and you never really got your whole team together until probably with a game or two to go 
in that preseason. And but this, they're all together. They know what they have to do. And I don't think it's going to take long to get back up to real good speed. And they're going to have the two-week training camp, right? Yeah, home. here in Tampa. Yeah, and then they go up there and have another week training camp or wherever they're going, correct? Right. Yeah, and they're talking about at least one exhibition game in that final week as well. Originally, I heard maybe two or even three exhibition games, and now more recently I'm hearing one, which if they want to try and start on the earlier side of things, one makes sense. Yes. Now, let me ask you this. Well, they're going to be playing, uh, never mind the round robin for right now, they're going to play three out of five series. Are they going to play back-to-back, do you know? I think that they can probably work the schedule this way, Phil, because they've talked about playing three games in a day. So on the first day of competitive play, you could have two of those series and then one round-robin game. That's six teams. That's half of your number. And then the next day, you have the other two series and the other round-robin game. And then you go back to, to day one's series on day three. So, so I think the three out of five will probably all be every other day. I haven't seen that in writing. I don't know that for a fact. Well, that's, that's because then hunch. the West would play. The East would play, let's just for the sake of on Monday, the West would play on Tuesday, the East back on Wednesday. Right. But you've got like, 12 teams. Like days, but you know what I'm talking about. Right. Maybe later. But at the start, I think you're going to have – you're going to have three games in the East and three games in the West on both days or every day. I think they're going to fit six games in a day, and maybe NBC will find a way to to use different parts of their network to, to air all of them, in addition to the regional broadcast. So, like, Rick and Brian are going to be doing, I presume, I've heard, round-robin games and the Lightning's first round. But I don't think if you're in a best-of-five you're going to have to play back-to-back. I think there's going to be enough activity going on that you're going to play every other day. Now, if you're in a round-robin, you may have a back-to-back situation because between day two and day three, one of those teams is going to have to play on consecutive days. But then they should get two days off after that, and that's not going to be too bad. That's, yeah. Uh, I just think back to my playing days we play four to seven, but we play back to back games. Yeah, and you're have right. A day off, travel, and then play another back to back. So, and they don't have travel now. So, no, that's what I mean. Maybe as we get farther along and you have fewer teams in the hub city, maybe that's something they look at. I don't know. Do you think that, and I'm kind of going back to the idea of what we're going to see when, when the puck is dropped? You talked about maybe passes being off. And usually when a pass is off, that leads to a chance coming the other way. <laughs> Poor yeah. puck management can lead to sloppy defense and scoring chances. And we've talked about this topic on this show with other guests. I'm curious to get your take on it. So at the start of a season, generally, when you come out of a break and then training camp and then the exhibition season, you tend to see higher scoring games you tend to see the best power plays are up 30% or higher. Usually after the first month, the top teams are in the 30s, if not the 40s, for their power yeah. play percentage. 
And then eventually the scores come down. The percentages come down on power play. We get into the second half of the year. Teams settle into their defensive systems. And then the playoffs are generally, not across the board, but generally lower scoring because teams have settled into their systems. Here we have kind of the rubber meets the road (laughs) because you've got a restart where you would figure that maybe teams are not clicking as well defensively, but you're also going right into the playoffs where defense is preached. Do you think it's going to be maybe a situation where we see six, five games early or a team's going to be able to revert through camp and, and however much time they have getting ready to get ready to play two, one type games that we usually see in the playoffs. Well, David, you, you know, my, how I feel if you don't get strong goaltending, you're not going to win. And if you're, if you get in the goalies, we don't talk about the goalies as much as the forwards or the defense and what have you. The goalies have to be really sharp right from the beginning, right from the beginning. And um, if you have goaltending that is a little suspect, say both teams at that particular game, you're going to have high-scoring games. But for the most part, I don't think we're going to see high-scoring games. I, I just don't. I think um, there'd be, well, 4-3, is that high scoring? I don't think so. For playoffs it is, but not for yeah, I suppose a mid-October is, yeah. game. <laughs> but uh, it's goaltending. I mean, yeah. every time I go back and you watch, you watch the playoffs from last year or the year before or the year before that, or even the t- 2004 Stanley Cup run, the goaltending was fantastic. Uh, and remember, Calgary Kip- Kiprasov is terrific, and yep. Hobby Bullen was out of his mind. And uh, you think about the, the goaltending, and if the goaltending is as good as they've been, it'll be low-scoring games. But I think the goalies are going to have the biggest problem getting adjusted because of the of the layoff that they had. They haven't faced any shots or anything else. Players can go in their backyard and shoot. Now, maybe Vasilevsky has Kucherov shooting at him right now. Who knows? <laughs> because he's got that the synthetic ice. Yeah. Kucherov. Yeah, he you're can right. do that right now. I mean, we don't know that. That would be wonderful. Just so Vasi could feel the puck again, you know? And that's what's going to be interesting. But after two weeks, two weeks of training camp and another week of maybe exhibition, a couple of exhibition games, he should be fine. Is there a big difference for a goalie? And I don't know if you ever talked with your brother about this, but is there a difference between seeing lots of shots in practice, but it's practice, it's not a game situation, and being in a game where you might see 25 to 30 shots, but it's in a much different type of situation. Yeah, well, I think for me, as my brother used to say, um, he liked a lot of shots in the game. (laughs) He did. He says the more shots, the more I was into the game, the better I felt and what have you. And a lot of goalies are like that. Sometimes uh, you only get one or two shots on the goalie in the first period or something, sometimes the goalie's like, holy max, man, I'm, 
I'm standing here. I can't take this. <laughs> but uh, there's where you got to be tough mentally, really tough mentally. And I, I just personally think it's the goaltending that's going to be the hardest part to get back to where it was. I don't think it'll be the forwards or the defense. It'll be the goaltending. Now, Vasilevsky well, to the has extent- told us, uh, too, that, yeah, he likes lots of shots. He doesn't want 40 or 50 all the time. Yeah. You know, but um, he he likes to have 30 to 35 shots uh, if he if he can get his angles right and all this other stuff. Well, and it's a difference, too, between seeing 30 to 35 routine shots, maybe with a couple yeah. of scoring chances, and having right. to deal with – 20 scoring chances, which is not ideal. And that means the team in front of you is not defending well at all. So the Lightning are going to have these three round-robin games. They're going to play one game each against Boston, Washington, and Philadelphia. That will determine seeding, which may or may not be important. I mean, you still don't know who you're going to get because they are going to reseed. So if you're the top seed, you're going to get the lowest remaining seed out of that play-in series. So there is some significance to the round-robin games. But I guess Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Bruins, a while back was saying, you know, we may elect to rest some guys during the round-robin because where we finish is not the most important thing. Clearly, he has his eye on winning the Stanley Cup. And the Bruins are in a different situation. They've got Chara, who's 43. Bergeron is so important to them. And yeah. You know, he's had injury problems. Do you risk having one of your key guys get hurt playing a round-robin game? Be that as it may. The Lightning are in a different situation. They don't have a 43-year-old defenseman like Chara that you know they have to lean on a lot, per se. Yeah. But do you think because they are going to be bringing more than 20, certainly, the number apparently is in the 27 to 28 range, and that includes some of the black aces, the guys from Syracuse who are coming up and, and going to be practicing in case there are a rash of injuries. But even taking those guys out, let's say you're a 23-24. Do you think in those round-robin games, the Lightning are going to go with the same lineup, the lineup that they're ready to use in game one of the playoffs to get that unit of 20, 18 skaters and two goalies ready? Or do you think they're going to mix up the lineup so that everybody gets a game in case they have to go in when the playoff part begins? Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I think it's going to depend on how things go in training camp. Um, that's my honest feel, feeling. If Coop feels that we need to have our team in this round robin, exactly our team, Wherever we end up, we end up. Or does he want to make sure if a guy has a little bit of a nagging injury, take him out and don't play him in that round robin, say the second game of the round robin. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, and we're going to, they're going to have some guys, they're going to be sore. There's no doubt about it. And there'll be some muscle pulls and, uh, and things like that, just hopefully they don't get this groin pulls or, oh, excuse me, abductor 
muscles. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think that would happen in the training camp part as they're coming back and, and getting worked pretty hard, or once you actually get into a game that would be I more likely? I think it could happen in the last – uh, most times years ago you'd have six weeks of training camp and you would get full groins in the first week or something like that, you know? Because yeah. you're trying to push yourself and you don't know why you do it, but you do it. You're really trying to push yourself, even though back then we had six weeks of training camp. Six stinking <laughs> weeks. <laughs> and uh, I think that would be key. Now, in the round robin, I agree with Cassidy. Do you? Does it matter where you end up? It doesn't matter because you got to play. You got to play whoever comes out. It doesn't matter who you play. They're all right. good teams. This is such a balanced league that it really doesn't matter. I remember Bobby Clark saying to me, "Who cares? We got to play them sooner or later." You know what I mean? I don't. Do you think, think it matters though to get? games in not so much where you finish but for i don't know let's say andre Pilat to make sure that he gets those round robin games in for timing exactly. to get his game where he wants it to be regardless of whether you win or lose them yeah i mean really and truly it it, it um i think they've come up with this round robin which was brilliant because the, those teams have to play in some sort of competition because the other teams are going to be playing three to three out of five games and they're, they're intense. So yeah. the round robin won't be quite as intense because you're not going to, if you, if you don't win a game, you're still there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in the three out of five, you lose three, you're out. So um, I think that's, that's a big time thing. And I think Coop's going to have to really feel and sense whether guys get injuries or, or what have you. Um, but I don't see a big time problem with this. I love the round Robin thing that they did because one of the things that I questioned when, and I remember Alex Glorn, who's the player rep before they come up with the round Robin idea, Said they they didn't like it because they they're not going to be playing any games. I remember him saying that, and and I couldn't agree with him more. And they came up with this round robin, which is absolutely a brilliant idea, so that the teams like Philadelphia and Washington and ourselves in Boston get two or three games of hockey, regular good hockey. Let me give you a specific scenario. Because I think this is a really intriguing part of the Lightning's camp and the decisions the team is going to need to make. The position of defense. So Jan Ruda is now healthy. Remember, he was hurt right. when we paused. Hedman and McDonough were, were banged up more short term. But everybody is healthy, healthy now. Yep. So when the Lightning were really rolling in that stretch in January when they won 10 in a row and, and they got really hot, and then they later won 11 in a row, although that streak coincided with some of the injuries. You had Hedman Ruda, you had Chernak McDonough, and you had Sergachev and Shattenkirk. That was your top six. 
Yeah. You also have Braden Coburn, Luke Shen, and Zach Bogosian. Yeah. And then any other defenseman that may be in the black ace category from Syracuse. But let's discount any potential players in that group. So of those nine, in these three round-robin games, if we are going to assume that Ruda comes back and plays with Hedman and the six guys that I mentioned are targeted to be the six starting in game one of the playoffs, how important is it to get Bogosian a game, for example, or get Coburn a game in the round-robin, assuming you don't have any injuries that, that would force your hand to put those guys in? Well, I think it's very important, and I think he'll do okay. that. I really do, because... They need to get some game time. No doubt about that. Braden Coburn is a veteran. A right. veteran that's been through the wars, and so is Bogosian. And I thought Zach Bogosian played pretty well. Me too. got him. And let me just say, I was throwing that group of six out there. I don't know that that's the group of six. I'm just yeah, saying, true. like, for much of the year, that was the group of six with those pairings. Well, uh, personally, I think for sure. You got Hedman, Sergachev. Uh, Chernak, McDonough, right? Those are and Shattenkirk, yeah. Now, who's going to be the other two? And, well, Shattenkirk, um, right? <laughs> You're and, not including Shattenkirk? Got, I, I'm happy that they got the choices they got. Yeah. Maybe it depends on the team you're playing, too. You know, some t guys are better with a, a slower team or some guys are better with it against a faster team. And these are all things that the coaches, they've got records on this left and right. It's not like years ago where you just went and played and you didn't care. They've got records and they know who plays well against whom and what have you. So it's, it's going to be fun and it's going to be interesting. I wanted to switch gears in our last few minutes here. And this is a topic that Steve and I talked about yesterday because they held the draft lottery on Friday night. Yeah, and I, hadn't I don't understand given... that, David. Explain to me why <laughs> Okay, the number one guy hasn't been picked yet. Yeah, so in a normal situation, you finish the regular season, 16 teams have made the playoffs, 15 teams have missed the playoffs. And those 15 teams are eligible to get the number one pick, the number two pick, or the number three pick based on odds and, you know, the number one team, the team with the worst record has the greatest odds. So what they decided to do is we knew the seven teams that didn't qualify for a play-in series, but then you have eight other teams that are going to be knocked out of the play-in round. And so that's how you would have your normal 15 teams that missed the playoffs. So they basically assigned a slot to those eight spots that have not yet been determined and they just ran the lottery like they normally would. So if they ran this lottery after a regular season that ended, a, re a normal regular season, the team that was ranked 12th would have jumped to number one. But we don't know who that team is. So that's why they're going to run a second draft lottery after so the, the number one round. pick. For the, as it turns out, the number one overall pick. So you're telling me one of the teams that playing in that three out of five series, one of them, yep, is going to get the first pick. It's gonna, it's gonna have to lose. Yeah, They're, it's gonna well, lose. Yeah, the three they out of lose five. out, obviously. Yes, but one of those teams, 
that lose in the three and a five is going to get the first pick. Yes. Who's the worst so, team in the league this year? Detroit, weren't they? Yeah. And they didn't win any of those picks. So they're going to pick fourth. LA is going to pick second. Ottawa is going to pick third. Yeah. I, I still don't like that. I never have though. I, I, I never have because I think the team that is the worst should get the first pick period. And there's an argument that can be made for that. The, and Steve and I talked about this yesterday. And now the Lightning weren't involved in this lottery situation. So I was only no. kind of half paying attention to it and hadn't really formulated my opinion. And then Steve and I had this conversation yesterday. So I've been thinking about it a little bit more. And the reason they put in the lottery is to, to put in a safeguard against teams completely tanking. So if you tank, okay, you're going to tank, but you may not get the number one overall pick and then uh, the they expanded tanking, when, that when you know i just have a very difficult time seeing a team's tank i uh, said that too i've never seen a player who intentionally wanted to lose exactly but a exactly. but a management team might trade away significant players i don't know i, I guess they feel that it's a viable enough reason to put in the lottery but I guess I Steve guess. made the point, like, if Pittsburgh loses its play-in series, the Penguins, who had one of the top yeah. point totals in the entire league, could get the number one pick. And I guess what I would say is if they wanted to I keep the system in baloney. place, <laughs> I agree with you. So here's where I now am coming down on this, because I hadn't really formulated an opinion until today. And I think what they should have done is, you want to have the three ping-pong balls? Fine. But keep it to teams one to seven. And the carrot for those other eight teams, you still have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. That's exactly That's your right, and you can pick <laughs> up five and up. That's it. Uh, yeah. uh, the guys that don't, didn't make the playoffs should have had the opportunity to have number one pick. Right. I think that that's where I'm coming down. And now and when we move into next year and it's hopefully just a regular season again, they want to keep this format in place. That makes sense. But for a team like Pittsburgh or Edmonton, and those are the two teams Steve referenced, who had really good regular seasons and would not in all likelihood have missed the playoffs if we had gotten to game 82, for them to all right. of a sudden have the opportunity to snag the number one overall pick does not seem right under this unusual circumstance that we're in. Yeah, well, I'm I'm with you on that, Dave, and I always have been. Though I've always been a proponent of if you ended up dead last, you get the first pick. Period. I didn't care what they did with the other ones, but the first overall, you got it, and that's personally the way I thought it should be. And when you when you say you're worried about teams tanking to get that first pick, well, I don't know how the heck you tank it. Unless you put in your third goalie and you put in just a bunch of guys from the minor leagues, like the East Coast League and stuff like that. And then the league's going to know yeah. that you're doing that. And you can you don't let them have it. You find them I think, and you find them big. I think what we do see is, Phil, toward the last, let's say, quarter of a regular season, for teams that are clearly out of it, what you see is – you can take away their will pretty easily, but that's because they've been beaten down. 
and they're accustomed to losing. They've had a terrible year. It's not that they are thinking about the number one overall pick. Players are playing for jobs. Exactly. Players are playing for contracts. But I think you do see that sometimes a lower-seeded team, like a team that's going to miss the playoffs, pulls off a surprising win because they're playing loose. Yes. But if you can about, punch them in the mouth. How about those, David, players playing for pride? Yeah. They but do. I do think if you can punch them in the mouth in the first period and knock them down a couple of goals, you do take away their will a little bit, and you see that, and then you can have a lopsided game. Yeah, that's true. But you can have a lopsided game. It doesn't matter when. could be in the middle of the season. True. could be a lopsided game when everybody's still in the, in the mix. So I don't know. But it, it, I didn't understand that. And I'm glad you straightened it out for me because I thought, wow. So if you lose in the first round of the three out of five, you lose out. You go into this lottery to get yeah. that kid Lafreniere who is a franchise player. Now, you don't have great odds. Every team has the same odds, 12.5%. It's going to be split among the eight eliminated so teams. You, but you make it on a, on a, on a flip of a coin? I don't know, man. That That's hard to take. Well, a For lot of people anyway. agree with you, Phil, which is why we brought this up yesterday. But I really yeah. enjoyed our talk. I'm sorry we couldn't connect with Rick Peckham. We'll try and get Rick on, uh, on a show in the near future. But I look forward to seeing you before too long, Phil, and hopefully yeah, we'll be back too, calling Dave. games here uh, before too long if, if we're able to proceed here with the training camp and, and into the round-robin games. You too, David. Looking forward to seeing you real soon. That'll do it for today's Power Lunch. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks, of course, to Phil Esposito. Steve has tomorrow's show. I'm back Thursday. And then Friday we have a best of. And then it's the weekend, 4th of July. Hope everyone enjoys the weekend, to be sure. But uh, a lot of Power Lunch still to happen before the weekend. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Take care.